Welcome back, campers. That's Caitlin. And that's Genevieve. And I am blaming my dad for the case we're covering today, not because he's a criminal, (laughs) but because he was the one who reminded me about it because everything involving it takes place in and around very specifically where my dad grew up and consequently where I spent a lot of my childhood because that's where we go visit our grandparents. And because you know I love a deep dive, I regrettably took it upon myself to read the individual who we're going to be talking about today's prison autobiography, which is like, you know, a lot of serial killers or killers or whatever, whatever, (laughs) will write these like bullshit memoirs that's just a lot of them talking out of their ass. But this particular one was written alongside a journalist. So the things that are in it are true and accurate as far as my understanding goes. So that doesn't mean it was pleasant to read. It was actually like one of the most disgusting, disturbing things I have ever read at times. But I think that it was important to also read because it gives you an insight into his psychology in a way that just reading several types of Wikipedia-ish articles just didn't. So (laughs) That's me. (laughs) That's my route. So y'all welcome. I would recommend not reading this person's autobiography once we tell you who it is. Uh... Caitlin, who are we talking about today? (laughs) Well, in the late 1960s and early 70s. It's always the 70s. You know, they were popping. Yeah. A man who looked unassuming due to his small and slender stature, so much so that he went his entire life by the nickname Pee-wee. The first offense in this story. (laughs) The first offense. (laughs) was anything but harmless. And after enduring a childhood of horrendous abuse and neglect and decades of brutality in and out of South Carolina's juvenile detention and eventually federal prison systems, at 35 years old, Mm -hmm. began absolutely terrorizing the rural communities of Florence and Sumter County, South Carolina, with sadistic violence and murder. Without further ado, this is part one of our two-part coverage of Donald P. Wee Gaskins. This is a long list. Here we go. (laughs) The sexual sadist and rapist, cannibal, arsonist, hitman, and serial killer of South Carolina. That was your blanket trigger warning. Lights out, campers. Donald P. Wee Gaskins was born on March 13, 1933, to his 14-year-old mother in Florence County, South Carolina. Her name was Eula Parrott, but she went by Molly, and P. Wee's father was actually her neighbor, a wealthy and well-known businessman who was 
unsurprisingly, much, much older than her, named Donald Gaskins, who, for the better part of a year, had apparently been paying Molly $1 for sex several times a week before she became pregnant. Pee-wee was only four pounds when he was born. Tiny. A little baby. Yeah. Hence his rather unfortunate nickname. Pee-wee and Molly lived in a small shack on Mr. Gaskin's property, which was separate from the main house, but Mr. Gaskins would still regularly pay visits to Molly, and the two of them, as well as multiple other men who would come to visit Molly at the shack, would have sex in front of Pee-wee as a baby and toddler. And this is terrible, would laugh at him when he became upset and would try to push these men off of his mom. So, everyone's pieces of shit. Yeah, fuck each and every one of them. And I do want to be careful that we mention when we say have sex, we are not ignoring the fact that when this was happening... Molly was a child and was not capable of engaging in consensual sex with an adult. So she was being raped and these men are all literal pieces of garbage. And we only say, air quotes, have sex in the sense that their encounters were not the result of a violent Mm break-in or assault, but that there was a survival mode transactional type thing happening and as a teenager she is a victim and we want to be very careful to say that but she can also still be a victim and a shitty person and if you're laughing at your baby while they're upset that you are having a bunch of men in your place that's really not cool so yeah The trauma started early. Gosh. As Pee-wee described it, throughout his childhood, there was always one or another of a bunch of different stepdaddies around. Fuck. Like, no child, like... None of them would stay around for long, and none of them saw Pee-wee as good for anything besides getting knocked around. His early childhood memories, before age 10, of growing up, on a tobacco farm in Leo, South Carolina, were pretty hazy. (laughs) Was that pun intended? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, but hey, it kind of worked. Aside from relentlessly getting picked on and pushed around because of his small size, but there was one particular instance that Pee-wee never forgot his entire life. When he was around five years old, a traveling carnival came to the next town over, and his stepdaddy, air quotes, quotes. (laughs) at the time, took Pee-wee's mother, Pee-wee, and a cousin of his to visit it. They stopped at an oddities and curiosities tent, and as Pee-wee remembers it, inside, there was a sleepy-looking and massive king cobra in a glass enclosure, whose head was exactly at the same level as a five-year-old Pee-wee's. Pee-wee watched intently as an announcer with a megaphone dropped a small white mouse into the enclosure, and as calm and cool as a cucumber, the snake opened its eyes, rose up, and flared out its neck. Pee-wee was mesmerized, 
Through the reflection of the glass, it looked like his own head and neck had become the cobra's. Quick as lightning, the cobra struck the mouse dead with its fangs, curled up, and went back to sleep. And through the megaphone, the voice of the announcer boomed. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes the cobra the most dangerous of all reptiles. The fact that, even as we watch it, it is preparing to kill, for no reason other than the fact that it has decided to kill. The faces of Pee-wee's Mama Molly, her boyfriend, and Pee-wee's little girl cousin were all stricken with terror. Except for Pee-wee. Remember, he is five years old, and he apparently had a boner. All I can think is, one, that's fucked up. Uh, yeah. But two, like, what in the fucking Harry Potter Wattpad <laughs> is going on? Like, that's all I'm thinking about. Oh, my God. Is it God. even possible for, like, a five-year-old to get a... B- yeah, it's... Well, I know that it happens involuntarily because it's just a natural... Part of your natural, like, biological processes developing but this is definitely weird because it happened as a reaction to something it it wasn't like right like it didn't happen while they were sleeping it happened as a response to Something. So I Something wish that's this, very dark. Uh, yeah, I wish the story continued on and he just had like a fetish for snakes, but... um. Oh, yeah. Mm, mm, no. Mm, no. No. Unfortunately, I'm not. But <clears throat> if that happened in 2023, I would hope that a helicopter parent would notice immediately you're in therapy, immediately you're getting help. But that is definitely not what happened because this was the 1940s. In 1943, Molly married a man named Hennant Hannah, a field hand who, surprise, surprise, was also cruel and abusive to Pee-wee, just like all of her previous boyfriends. After marrying Hannah, Molly had two more sons and two daughters. Once he hit school age, being in the classroom was little less than torture for Pee-wee, who got into fights almost daily when he was bullied for being small and then was beaten by the teacher for fighting. So needless to say, he absolutely hated it. Rightfully so. Uh, yeah. And he'd barely been in school for three years when he started ditching to wander around in the woods and avoid getting picked on. What Pee-wee didn't hate, though, was figuring out what made things work, particularly cars and radios and electrical appliances, and he was actually really good at it, to the point where people in town sought him out to fix things, and he actually dropped out of school (laughs) at 11 years old because he was picking up enough work helping out the mechanic at the gas station near his family's tobacco farm that he was making some money for himself. This did not sit well with his stepfather, Hennett, who told Pee-wee that if he wasn't going to be in school, then his only option was more field work. He would mercilessly beat Pee-wee if he ever caught him skipping out on farm chores to go work for the mechanic, and Pee-wee quickly learned it was easiest to just go along with whatever he said. 
Eventually, though, Molly convinced Tennant to allow Pee-wee to work for the mechanic garage on Saturdays or take odd jobs repairing broken appliances that people in town would bring to the garage. Pee-wee was even allowed to have a corner of their parlor as his repair shop, and his best memories from around this time were the peaceful Saturdays he spent repairing radios and sewing machines in the parlor after Molly cooked their family supper, and his little half-brothers and sisters would play on their rug while Molly sewed and Hennett sipped liquor, and they all listened to radio shows. When Pee-wee was around 13, he and his two best friends, who were also local boys named Danny Smith and Henry Marsh, called themselves the Trouble Trio. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> Little fucking 13-year-old boys. Trio, right. They started hanging out at an abandoned house in Leo. They would break open vending machines and steal money, sodas, and cigarettes, and would sit around bragging about how much they supposedly knew about girls. <laughs> You know, normal dumb middle school aged boy stuff. Except it's around now that things took a real barf inducing turn. According to Pee Wee, the older boys that he and Danny and Marsh hung around at the house taught them all kinds of valuable life stuff. For example, as Pee Wee put it, quote, <laughs> this is not our words, uh, this is Pee Wee's words. Quote, hard quote. How to jerk off or cornhole or fuck a sheep or goat or chicken. Unquote. Not from Jenna mm. Rye. <sighs> they also encouraged the boys to dig a trench just behind and beneath the church's outhouse so that they could have a clear view whenever a woman or a girl would sit down to relieve themselves. <laughs> Why the fuck I do you want to watch not, that? I should not be laughing. <laughs> that is horrendous. That is horrible bad that's just disgusting i just don't get it just imagine these nasty little teenagers like if i looked down and saw one of their nasty faces i would purposely force myself to take a shit on their face they might like that. oh no they might like that no 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 no, no. As the words started coming out of my mouth, that's immediately where my mind went, but I just had to keep going. Somebody going in there with bubble gut. Blasting <laughs> <laughs> off. I just... Oh my god. I know god. it's not funny, but like, it's so fucked up. It's just that. so, like, it's so messed up that you have to uncomfortably laugh, but <gasps> this is not okay. <laughs> This is uncomfortable laughing, not affirmative laughing. No, no, no. When they were caught, three stepfathers, a preacher, a deacon, and four mothers, including Pee-wee's own, took turns beating the three boys with switches until they bled. Jesus. This really didn't do anything. Exactly. No. Besides add fuel to the rapidly building resentment Pee-wee already held towards girls. Like... Yeah. I don't get... Uh, Up until that point, his only experience with girls around his age had been to get bullied and beat up by them at school for being small, and he knew he couldn't fight them back because then he'd just get beaten up, beaten himself by grown-ups. The fuck, fuck, like, that whole cycle. Yeah, this Because right is... now, he still can be redeemed. Oh, yeah. The... I mean, he's a child. He's a... Yeah, he's literally a child, and... Ah. 
a child doing really like the sheep and the chicken stuff like that's messed up and I can't even wrap my mind around it, so I don't even know how to commentate on it, but all I am clinging to at this point is that he is a severely abused child who grew up, like as a baby and toddler, saw traumatic things, is relentlessly bullied and beaten by any adult authority figure in his life. Besides, his mom did not beat him from everything I have read, but that... There was certainly an element of emotional abuse and neglect by her allowing him to see the things that he saw and not standing up for him to his abuse. There's a war going on. How do these kids have time to fuck a chicken? (laughs) You have to eat the chicken. The rations. Oh my god. How do you even fuck a chicken? I mean, they were on farm, uh, like in farm areas, so that's why they had access to stuff like that, but... I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't even Their know. Their hands are free. Uh, they would like normal people. I mean, I think they did that too, but they were just bored. I don't know. God. I just don't... Who taught those children that? The older boys. I know, that's but who what taught those oh, children that? Oh, God. Yeah, I. that's frightening. But doesn't it just show you that at least in this area that they were in in this circle of neighbors or this community or whatever the fuck there was no good older influence like and the ones that were quote-unquote authority figures the teacher the preacher they just beat the shit out of you when you did something that you weren't supposed to do instead of helping or instead of showing you by example and like giving you things that you needed to not have that been towards violence yourself like i i just will never understand how an adult can think physically abusing a child into submission does anything good yeah yeah it's just all bad it's all bad There's really nothing aside from you see him. He had that interest in figuring out how things worked. He was learning how to do something productive and good and learning how to fix things. And then he got the shit beaten out of him for it because, no, we need you to do whatever on the tobacco farm. And so Mm -hmm. that one good positive thing that was like budding inside of him was being squashed and he had to be sneaky and manipulative Mm -hmm. around finding ways to do it until his mom convinced the stepdad to like don't beat him because he wants to fix radios that's it's difficult to wrap your mind around and it sounds like comical yeah. coming out of your mouth but this was I would go so far as to say that this was not like insanely out of the ordinary for just how things were at this time doesn't mean it was okay and that's why everybody's alcoholics and incredibly emotionally stunted and or serial killers <laughs> it's true yeah what's interesting is that despite all of this As an adult, 
years later being interviewed in prison, Pee-wee said he did not believe his childhood was abusive. And overall, he considered the day-to-day of his family's household, in his own words, quote, good and peaceful. But he was still aware that from his earliest memory with the Cobra incident at the carnival, he felt he had something that he described as, quote, a ball of plumber's lead rolling around in his guts and weighing him down, quote. And for as long as he could remember, he would have a recurring nightmare that this ball of lead would suddenly blow him apart into millions of little pieces, and those pieces would fly around trying to find each other and put him back together. Hmm. One afternoon, when Pee-wee was a teenager, he went to the home of someone in the town who needed a floor radio fixed, and he was blown away by the sheer amount of valuable stuff just sitting around their house. He wasted no time telling his other two, Trouble Trio buddies, Danny and Marsh, that they could make much more money for all three of them if they started breaking into houses and stealing items to sell from wealthy folks than Pee-wee just fixing their broken appliances for them. Now, to me, this next bit is extremely telling about the kind of adults that Pee-wee and his two best friends had had in his life up until this point. Pee-wee's friend, Danny, went straight to his father as soon as he heard about Pee-wee's idea. Not because he got spooked. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Caitlin, the bottles are dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Not because he got spooked and was wanting to tattle, but because he wanted advice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Danny's father was a felon. Yay. Yay. Who had served time in federal prison for burglary, armed robbery, and assault. Damn, that yeah. is who I'd want on my radar. That is hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but according to Pee-wee, he immediately took the boys under his wing and taught them everything they needed to know about how to be smart and careful criminals. Coming from the guy who was in federal prison. Yeah, I guess that's true. He was kind to the boys. He never beat them. He never cussed them out. He, quote, fenced for them by taking the items they stole and passing them along to buyers. And they trusted him completely. I take back my little shit talking because he's probably the best adult out of this whole story. Yeah, like seriously. Yeah. He never cheated them with their money and allowed them to store it at his house. And he always treated them with respect. At the time in South Carolina, you could get a driver's license at 14. Holy fuck. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? But you know why? It's because they were in the middle of those world wars and there wasn't that's also depressing is that the like older teenagers and other men were just not there yeah that is that's crazy well you know what there's our answer they're all gone Mm -hmm. they're serving yeah like yep you're absolutely right gosh and danny was the only one old enough to have a license so he even bought a truck for them with the money they'd saved from their stolen items so that folks wouldn't be suspicious of a 14-year-old buying a truck with a wad of cash. So, at this point, Danny's dad is like, I mean, he's kind of a baller. Like, that's... (laughs) I'm not mad at him. And the fact that he was the only adult so far in the story to not be beating on them and cussing them out and abusing them or, like 
taking advantage of them in some way. No wonder they were like, oh, yes, you're awesome. Because no other adults in their life, I would say, they trusted and or got anything either but neglect and or like literal violent abuse from. So like, and I know I just went back to read his charges. I know assault was on there. Yeah. Not not good. Not good. Burglary. Yeah. The assault. I (laughs) am. I sound like I'm just like really on a podium trying to defend Danny's dad. I know. But it maybe it was a situation where it was like another adult you know like a man yeah man on (laughs) man we don't get to that part quite yet Genevieve no but you know what I'm saying like maybe it wasn't like beating up a kid or something like it was yeah so I'm not saying that he was a shining uh example of a great person but to them he was teaching them to be felons yes yes but he's teaching them to do it the smart way not go around or kill he's not teaching them to kill somebody he's not teaching them to like mug an old lady push her to the ground in a weird and warped way he's encouraging them to be smart intuitive productive self-reliant he is treating them with i know i what i'm saying the things i'm like but i'm nodding i'm like yes but i'm I'm speaking very like in the context of the world that they lived in of their limited world of shitty adults the fact that he was the least shitty being a felon is worth noting and that they like idolized him because he did not beat them and treat them horribly yep and that's sad don't i mean they don't define him as a person yeah but that's that's sad and there's going to be something that happens later where um the turntables will definitely turn with our opinions of danny's dad but yeah dang i don't remember that yeah but right now well right now we're still i'm still team peewee like he's still a child and yeah like i have hope for him yes like up until this point we can safely say we have a lot of empathy for peewee because he had normal yes he had a very abusive and neglected childhood even though he says it he didn't then it makes you be like fuck them what did he define as abusive and what was going on in the homes of the other kids he knew was just and the cobra thing that was horrifying the trench digging and the animal farm um stuff that's absolutely horrifying and in no way okay but even then there's a point where there can be a turning point like Mm -hmm. you've not crossed over into the violence against like sadistic violence against another human being you can have a turnaround like a hard come to jesus you know i i'm also like all these instances are like a one-off instance so far yeah he hasn't like or like it's been influenced by others decisions Yeah. He hasn't taken the reins fully yet. Yes, that's I mean, that's although true. he did come up with the burglary. But <laughs> that's literally not yeah. the worst crime, so I don't care about that. Yeah. He's not gotten to the point of no return, even though it is very rapidly approaching. And I would say what we're going to talk about next 
it has arrived when he and his buddies, Danny and Marsh, acquired a lot of freedom with the pickup truck that Danny's dad got for them. And they began making trips up and down the South Carolina coast when they were not doing their burglarizing to regularly visit brothels. Ying, ding, ding, ding. How old are they? 13, 14? They're like 13, 14, 15. So they're visiting brothels at child age. Isn't that really weird? And I have to put this in because this really doesn't have much bearing on like the whole story overall. But at this point in the autobiography, Pee Wee is going on and on about the closeness of the friendship that he had with Danny and Marsh, how they loved each other and they like did everything together and they were, you know, the trouble trio or whatever. And Uh yes, they were, they've been compared and other articles that I read as almost like wild animals because they were like feral almost and that's not excusing anything that they're doing but you can see how though these three types of kids ended up kind of joining up together and finding this weird like camaraderie and sense of safety with one another and they are figuring out their they're coming into like their sexuality together because they are like openly doing weird stuff with and around each other. And then uh, one of them, uh, which one is it? Marsh. Marsh preferred, and this is words directly from Pee Wee himself, quote, jacking off in the hideout which was that old abandoned house that they hung out in that marsh also liked quote i'm sorry this is really bad cornholing the younger boys and letting them cornhole him and he liked to suck dicks danny and me didn't go for that too much but since marsh was our friend we would let him do to us whatever he wanted to quote do not Google cornholing <laughs> like Caitlin just did. Bitch, when Use I said your imagination. earlier, I thought they meant playing cornhole. My perverted Caitlin, ass brain. I, you should have known better. How the fuck did I not know what cornholing meant? I was literally thinking like bags tournament. Like they were practicing, not butt fucking. Oh, God. Well, yeah, that's, that's what that is. And I think it's safe to say that Marsh was gay. I mean... Why are these little children yeah. sticking their d- d- uh, holes, any holes? I We warned that this was going to be very, very yuck. Oh, but my gosh. They are definitely leaping oh. into, like, a level of sexual maturity as incredibly immature yeah. individuals that they should not be at for, like, another, for years. So, that... In no way. And there's a reason why we have a They're legal just... age of consent. Like, that is, there is no way that that does not mess you up. No, they jump later straight on. into unhealthy sexual. Horrible. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like, for example, if Marsh is gay, mm-hmm. based off of the horrible things that I just read once again, sorry, but it it's, I think that it's necessary because it shows you the level of intensity with which they were already plunged into adult behaviors yeah. at an age when they were not adults. And there was no one in their life that was giving them any sort of like, hey, here's like maybe a healthy way to explore this or like maybe have a crush on somebody and like kiss them a little bit and don't go straight to cornholing you <laughs> at age 14. But really though, like this is zero to Cinemax at night. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Fuck. We maybe have lost every single one of our listeners at this point. He's like, nope, I've checked out. This is too much. But we're just in the beginning. Yeah, this is. Oh, well. Yeah. To continue, the Trouble Trio basically had a reputation with all of their peers as being little more than wild animals. Yep. And basically, girls their age were like, hell no uh yeah hell no whenever they were invited to take a ride in the trouble trio's truck yeah hard mm-hmm. fucking pass yeah hard pass oh gosh yeah. this this stuff next this is really where it, it's like we are beyond uh, yeah. we are beyond the point of no return here Ugh. this gets bad and peewee marsh and danny didn't like this they felt they were entitled to experience a sexual encounter with a girl their own age instead of, as they disgustingly put it, quote, them tired old whores, unquote, in Columbia and Charleston. You are 14. You should not know what a, quote, tired old whore is. Like, what? You, uh, I, I must stop. So, horrifyingly, Marsh suggested that the three of them make a plan to kidnap and rape his 13-year-old sister. His fucking sister. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. This is... Yeah. This is so, so sad. One Saturday, the boys told Marcia's sister, Julie, that they were going to take her in the truck to go see a movie in Sumter. But instead, they drove the trusting young girl to the abandoned house in Leo, held her down, and took turns raping her for hours. Now, to any sane individual, it is impossible to see this as anything, anything other Mm -hmm. than what it is. And that is a horrendous, violent crime. Yes. Like. Yeah. But here, we're going to again attempt to put you into the minds of what was happening with them so just bear with us as we as we work through this Uh, yes it's it's worth mentioning that in these boys minds these Mm -hmm. b-o-y apostrophe s yeah boys minds they claim to not understand why julie was so bent out of shape over being assaulted Mm. they hadn't beat her or kicked her or hurt her 
They even took her to get a burger after and promised to give her money if she wouldn't tell anybody. And since she eventually calmed down and had stopped crying by the time they let her back out at her house, they figured they were in the clear. And that is such a childlike it it really is like thinking. It shows you how how dark and evil what happened was happening, but also still how and please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that they are innocent, Mm -mm. but the innocence that they should have had at that age being so broken that as they are doing something so wrong they still have that like childlike rationale about it where they're like well well we know it's bad to to beat someone and to physically hurt them because they've had right because they've had it done to them and but they didn't do that to her and and we we went and got her a burger right we made sure she was okay yeah but also though in the back of their minds it's not like they they didn't know they knew it was wrong because they like don't don't tell anybody don't tell anybody so yeah it's very much like you accident accidentally yeah hurt your sibling in like yeah. a fight and you're like don't tell mom please don't mm-hmm. tell mom like yeah it's it's almost as if they think that what they did was on that level of right like, right that you don't see the gravity and this damage but the trouble trio being in the clear was most definitely not the case. Later that same evening, Pee-wee and his family were sitting out on their front porch listening to the radio when Marsh and Julie's mother, Marsh himself, and Marsh's stepfather came roaring into their yard in a car and skidded it directly into the porch steps. (laughs) The car door flung open, and in one swift motion, Julie's mom leapt out and laid Pee-wee out cold with a fist to the side of his head. Bro, you fucking had that coming. Ooh, I would have yanked that steering wheel right into those stairs and just plowed <laughs> through him. Also, <clears throat> you need to post that fucking, <laughs> that video that you posted on your own feed onto this feed now. Julie's mom. <laughs> yes. Maybe yes. I'll change the caption slightly to reflect more Oh my more gosh, and that is how a mama that, <laughs> handles that kind of shit. That is handling shit. Mm, okay, sorry. So, Let's keep those going. While I am... I feel like I have to just constantly backtrack and be like, I'm not advocating for child abuse because Pee-wee's still a child, but also like... Uh, you want to act You've gone at, right. Treated, you act bro. You're going to act like you're gonna dish it out you're gonna take it and then some like fuck i would do the exact same thing to him and this is now also going to continue to get dark so sorry the story is just never yeah there's nothing there's nothing good when peewee came to after julie's mom had laid him out uh the adults and by adults we mean uh, Julian Marsh's mom, Marsh's stepfather, and Pee-wee's stepfather. Pee-wee's mom removed herself from the situation. The adults literally drug Marsh and Pee-wee to the barn, stripped them, 
tied ropes around their ankles and strung them upside down from the barn rafters, then started to beat them with a pine board and a leather strap until they nearly lost consciousness. We are, again, so sorry, but it is very important to note here because it gives a light onto the budding, very serious pathology that Pee-wee has. Despite this horrendous beating, which this next event only blinded Julie's mother with rage even more when she saw that as she was beating Pee-wee, he had become sexually aroused. I need to take a shower. Ah. How? This is How didn't they kill him? Well, I from what I remember in reading this part of the autobiography, basically after they beat them almost to the point of unconsciousness when they basically were like, "All right, we're tired." They <clears throat> cut them down. And the boys fell on the floor of the barn. And I don't know about Marsh. I think they like basically threw his ass in the car and left. But they just left Pee Wee on the floor of the barn. And he said he was so like hurting so bad that he laid there the entire night and didn't even move. And that he just barely could like make himself crawl out of there the next morning. So this was a violent violent beating that was not just like you getting an ass whooping this was like yeah Yeah. bad and (sighs) yeah okay anywho (laughs) let's continue (laughs) uh and now we need to take a pause from our story to break down a pathology that if you're a hardened armchair psychologist, you might have seen coming from the very beginning when Pee-wee became more mm, excited that one typically does when he witnessed the cobra strike the mouse at the carnival. Oh, yeah. First, we are going to define sexual masochism. According to the DSM-5, Sexual masochism is intentional participation in an activity that involves being humiliated, beaten, bound, or otherwise abused to experience sexual excitement. Sexual masochism disorder is diagnosed when a patient experiences recurrent intense sexual arousal from these activities, but also has clinically significant distress or impaired functioning. When diagnosing this disorder, the following specific clinical criteria are as follows. 1. Patients experience recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the act of being humiliated, beaten, bound, or otherwise made to suffer. This arousal is expressed in fantasies, intense urges, or behaviors. 2. Their fantasies, intense urges, or behaviors cause significant distress or impair functioning at work, in social situations, or in other important areas of their lives. And 3. The condition has been present for 
at or over six months. And not to be outdone, sexual sadism. The DSM-5 defines sexual sadism as the infliction of physical or psychological suffering, e.g. humiliation, terror, on another person to stimulate sexual excitement and orgasm. Sexual sadism disorder is sexual sadism that causes clinically significant distress or functional impairment or is acted on with a non-consenting person. The specific clinical criteria according to the DSM-5 are as follows. Patients derive recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the physical or psychological suffering of another person. Arousal is expressed in fantasies, intense urges, or behaviors. Patients Patients have acted on their urges with non-consenting person or these fantasies or urges cause clinically significant distress or impair functioning at work, in social situations, or other important areas of their lives. The condition has been present for greater or equal to six months. So, Caitlin, now that we have broken down both of those definitions, so the sexual masochism disorder, we definitely saw indication of that happening when he was being beaten. Mm -hmm. Then the Cobra incident is interesting to me. And the reason why I put both the masochism and the sadism definitions down is because one, the masochism focuses on the sadistic acts being performed to you. Mm -hmm. To Pee Wee in this situation. Yes. And then, you know, the obviously the other one, um, sadism is you doing it to someone else and in the situation of the cobra when you look back on that it makes you wonder was it the seeing the cobra strike the mouse Uh that did it or was it the mouse like he was looking through the lens of the mouse and being struck that did it Does that make sense? Or like, was it a combination of both? So there's that, there's the beating, and then there is the the assault against Mm -hmm. the sister, which she, as the assault was happening, was crying, begging, pleading with them to stop. And they continued for a long time. And that did not do anything to sway Mm -mm. them if anything it egged them on so that's why I think that it's important to be like well both I don't think it's either or of the things I think it's both of these things going on I agree and these things are not mutually exclusive there can be you know someone can have both of that uh present which is absolutely horrible but yeah and him talking about having that feeling of that like hot boiling Uh pit of lead that was just heavily weighing on him or like surging up inside of him you could attribute that to many different things but it also does track with I think it's the second element of the DSM-5 description where it says you know they have this overwhelming feeling that impairs their day-to-day 
life that they don't that just kind of like it pops up out of nowhere it almost to me like the way he described it sounds like because i don't think it's anxiety like it's not like that yeah more like adrenaline like to me adrenaline mm. feels like anxiety mm. whereas like yeah. adrenaline for like bitch if i jumped out of a plane i'd like that adrenaline would like yeah <laughs> but some people that's like yeah 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 and, i like, know what you mean though that you're almost like in a state of freeze yeah. like fight so fight maybe, or freeze. like to me yeah. it's like almost adrenaline like yeah so as we get further on into the story we'll continue to see things come up that confirm at least to us that both of these pathologies were very likely had by peewee gaskins but all in good time so the following morning after peewee and marsh got the living shit beat out of them for what they did to marsh's sister they figured they'd better go check in on danny since marsh's mom would certainly have been heading to his house once she was done with them however when they showed up Danny didn't even have a scratch on him, and he told Pee-wee and Marsh that as soon as he had gotten home yesterday from what they did to Julie, he'd gotten ahead of it and told his dad right away what they'd done. And when Marsh's mama roared up in Danny's yard, he was sat on their porch with a shotgun across his lap and told Marsh's mama that if she so much as set but outside of her car, he would blow a hole in her. And furthermore, he warned her that if they went to the police and had Danny arrested, he would kill their entire family. He had also suggested to Danny that it would be best for them to leave town and spend a few months in Texas until things cooled down. According to Pee Wee, quote, how wonderful it must be to have a daddy like Danny's daddy. Quote. That is Danny's hard. on my fuck you list. Yes. He Danny's daddy. Danny yeah, and Danny's, Danny's daddy. daddy. But that breaks my heart because it's not the excusing of what he did like threatening to kill an entire family but in peewee's mind and in those other boys mind what they are seeing is a father figure going to bat for them but being like i will fuck somebody up for you yeah and i will stand in between you and a person that wants to hurt you and that is what breaks my heart is that that's what they connect with and Danny's daddy not the I'm not excusing any of the other horrible shit and Danny's daddy yes you're a piece of shit for being like I'm going to protect my son for sexually assaulting another child but it's that you see the desperation in those young boys and that longing to be protected and cared for and that's as shitty of a person as Danny's daddy reveals himself to be he's still giving that to them and that is heartbreaking and i think you can acknowledge both yeah you know like be like it's wrong and fucked up and it's also sad and it makes you just be like what if he had something better from the beginning like from the beginning could things have been different we will never know but 
Yeah. Ah, oh, this is such a fuck case. Yeah. Marsh also decided it was time for him to skip town. So the next day, the boys of the Trouble Trio divvied up their earnings from robbing houses, promised to write one another, and gingerly hugged each other goodbye at a bus station in Sumter. Gingerly because Marsh and Danny were like, or not Danny, Marsh and Pee Wee were <laughs> barely standing from having the shit beat out of them. God. Pee Wee recalled that they all cried at having to say goodbye to one another and that once he'd said goodbye to his friends, the best part of his life ended. And even though he kept going with his appliance repair business and always had money in his pocket, the weight that felt like hot lead in his stomach got heavier and heavier with every passing day. And he wouldn't really hang out anywhere that wasn't the gas station or the hideout at the abandoned house. Because his reputation for being in the trouble trio made older boys who might beat him up leave him alone. And he felt respected. And isn't it also messed up that to Pee Wee saying goodbye to those boys signified like the best part of his life ending and the best part of his life being them getting... I mean, we don't need to go over all of that no. again, but that that was the best like, part of one his good life. Thing, like true good thing that came yeah. out of that whole thing. Yeah. Like genuine. Yeah. And I, I think, again, it goes back to when he calls it the best part of his life. It's because he was escalating in yeah. criminal behavior. But while he was escalating in that criminal behavior, he was receiving that relational affirmation from Danny's dad who was treating them the way that they longed to be treated and so that's why it was the best part of his life for him yep. and when Danny and his dad left that was just gone so there's not that Danny's dad was in any way standing in the gap between Pee-wee do him doing heinous shit because he actively encouraged it but it was like even him having that feeling of, I can trust someone and I can depend on yeah. someone was just gone. Which as a child, yeah, every child not only needs that, but yeah. they want it. They, yeah. Like even as adults, we seek mm -hmm. that out. Yeah. As humans, yep. we need it. And they need it in healthy, <laughs> legal ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Fuck. Yeah. So after this, a few months later... Pee-wee found himself talking with a newly married man and former Navy officer named Walt, who was on the way to Charleston with his wife when he blew a water hose and pulled over to the gas station that Pee-wee worked at. And while he replaced the water hose on their Chevrolet, the two struck up a conversation. And they learned that they both had a mutual interest in air quotes, finding and air quotes, recouping expensive items that they did not acquire illegally. So they decided to team up and every other Saturday, Walt would pick Pee Wee up from that abandoned house that they called the hideout and he would drive the getaway car while Pee Wee broke into houses and robbed them. And this worked out pretty well for Pee Wee and Walt for a little while. Until one Saturday afternoon, it didn't. 
Pee-wee had thought it might be a good idea to hit one of the more rural houses in town because they had some good expensive items. And they were actually neighbors of his mother's that personally knew their family. But Pee-wee felt confident that no one would be home for quite a while since they had all gone up to a funeral in Lexington that morning. Dun, dun, dun. Walt idled in the car along the edge of some woods to keep watch. And when Pee-wee got to the door, he felt pretty good about how easy this was going to be when he turned the knob and swung it open. But as soon as he stepped into the kitchen, their teenage daughter, who knew him, was standing in the middle of the kitchen with a hatchet in her hand. <laughs> Still with the fucking hatchet. Damn. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I love that. But, okay, but she's on our level. Yes. Like, you hear the front door open, hatchet. It's zero to hatchet. It, it would be the hammer or butcher's mm, knife yeah. for me, but <laughs> I like her. I like her. Zero to hatchet. She yelled, quote, Junior, what are you doing here? Unquote. <laughs> then swung the hatchet at Pee-wee. Get it, girl. <laughs> That's she fucking... He turned and ran as fast as he could, and she chased him all the way to the edge of the woods and had almost gotten away, but stumbled on a tree root and felt the blade of the hatchet whiz by his head. Ooh, so she swung that she, thing. Damn. He turned, wrenched the hatchet from the girl's hand, brought it crashing down twice on her arms that she raised in defense, and smashed the blunt end against her temple, knocking her out cold. As Pee-wee turned and ran deeper into the woods and was looking for the getaway car, a shotgun blast rang out from the porch and buckshot peppered the trees around him. People back then did not play. <laughs> like That's my kind of fuck around and like, find like, out. Like, you're not going to get your ass whipped. You're going to get strung upside down naked in the barn and, like, beat uh -uh. Until you're lying at Jesus's door, you're not gonna get nine one one called and you get a hatchet swung at your. Head. I love it. <laughs> Buckshot, blow from a shotgun at you. Oh God. <clears throat> so, anyways, as Buckshot peppered the trees around him, Pee Wee realized that there was a no getaway car to be found. Walt had ditched him at the first sign of trouble, and Pee-wee ran as fast as he could the rest of the way home, hoping to throw some things in a bag and skip town. But the police pulled into the yard right behind him as he got to the house, informed him that the girl he'd attacked with the hatchet was in the hospital in really bad condition, and with that, Pee-wee Gaskins was arrested, fingerprinted, and charged with assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill. He was sentenced to the South Carolina Industrial School for Boys, aka Juvie, and as Pee-wee would put it, quote, his real education was about to begin, quote. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And if you have made it this far, that is where we are going to 
bookmark part one of our two-part coverage of the worst story we have ever heard of in our lives, Pee Wee Gaskins. And we will be finishing it next week. And we haven't even got to the murders yet, y'all. That was an attempted murder for sure, but the girl did survive. God. This is just like... Oh. (laughs) God. (laughs) To put into context how close all of this peewee shenanigans shit was to my family apparently on my grandpa's side of the family my dad's dad's side of the family and I don't really know didn't really grow up knowing them that well but there was a Gaskins in that side of the family and remember peewee's dad was Donald Gaskins who is like a uppity businessman and I don't know historically like I don't know if it was the same Gaskins or not but all of the stuff going on with Pee Wee Gaskins was actively happening when as we'll go on to see he gets out of prison he's like out and about terrorizing people up along the coast of South Carolina and in Florence County. And my great-grandmother apparently used to give my great-granddaddy shit whenever he would, like, be a little turd uh-huh. and say, like, well, that's that. there's that Gaskins in you. And it would make him so mad because Pee Wee Gaskins was so, like like hated and thought of as like the actual scum of the earth and like the bane of Florence County that he did not like her even joking about him possibly being related to Girl, you're tainted. Gaskin. You got tainted blood. <laughs> no, I was like, what the I'm fuck? over here about to look up his fucking family tree. <laughs> I I need to do that before I come come back with next week is like look and see if there's any legitimacy to that whatsoever because fuck but like I remember both my grandma and my grandpa talking about peewee gaskins and me just not like it not clicking when I was a kid other than I remembered the name because I was like oh that's a dumb name yeah and of course they didn't tell me all this horrible stuff like my grandma told me he was a murderer but I didn't know any of this shit until I did it to myself by reading his book, but God. <clears throat> so yeah. Yeah, guys. Um. <laughs> uh, oh yes. <laughs> what were you gonna say? I was gonna tell you. Okay. So this was something completely unrelated, but I thought it might be fun to like end by talking about something that is not making us want to end at all, and. My sister sent me a video on Instagram today, and I will link it in the show notes so we can give this creator credit, but he is like a biking personality, not motorcycling, like bicycling personality on Instagram, Uh and he has this really interesting commentary on why we don't ever see bicycles in if you think about it 
in shows like where there's an apocalyptic event and people have to get from point A to point B. So think like The Walking Dead or like I, mean, it makes sense <laughs> I Am to Legend me. or whatever. Nobody or even, oh my God, what's the one with Pedro Pascal that everyone's watching? Um, the Last of Us. The Last of Us. Nobody is on a bicycle ever. Like Daryl Dixon is on a, a bike. What doesn't it make sense? What is he? I- so what he's saying is, is that bicycles are actually in the real world. They are the number one mode of transportation in the entire world, aside from like just walking. Head to the office. What? I don't want. Like I get it for the office, but bitch, if something's coming at me, <laughs> I am not out in the open. So he, so his point is, is that it's at, it's the number one mode of transportation in the entire world. Uh-huh. But in these incredibly popular like. TV shows and movies where it would be incredibly useful to actually have a bicycle to get around. You never see anyone on a bicycle in these types of shows. He's like, because when you think about movies and shows where somebody is on a bicycle, Hollywood has created the stigma around the bicycle as it being like a joke or it being like childlike like if somebody's on a bicycle they're a goofy uncool dorky personality like mr bean or like a little kid or they're very little kiddish like stranger things and the kids running around on bikes in the nicest way (laughs) but they wear those fugly ass little outfits and those fugly ass little helmets and their fugly ass (laughs) little glasses and they do look yes exactly and that's what i'm saying is like he he's like i think that it's you know hollywood has created the stigma that that bikes are dorky but i think bikers have created the stigma that bikes are dorky and i i mean but i love riding the stationary bike yeah but i never thought if about somebody, that though like if we went into the apocalypse though i don't mm-hmm. want to be on a bike but it does make you go the think that like that is interesting though yeah because, like, in The Walking Dead, when they get to a point where even in, like, the later yeah, seasons... Yeah, like in the neighborhoods, they don't even yeah, have, like... Yeah, and when in the later seasons, the actual, like, zombies almost become, like, background uh-huh. noise where they're, like, oh, they're just, like, annoying animals. And we they only are a risk if there's, like, a hundred bajillion of uh-huh. them. And you see it coming from, like, a mile away. But you would think that when they're having to walk, like, 50 miles at a fucking time, that wouldn't it be awesome if everybody was just on a bicycle and they would get there in, like, half the time? <laughs> That would look a little stupid. But how weird, though, would it look? Because we've been conditioned by either Hollywood and or bikers who have to wear those little fugly compression shorts and those helmets that look like a flame or whatever. It just, they, Malcolm in the middle of, yeah. uh, what's his name? What's, I can't, um, oh gosh, what's the dad's name? I can see him in my mind's oh, eye. Oh, I, oh. But. Walter White. Yes, Brian Cranston. (laughs) Brian Cranston and his speed walking outfit. That's what I think of for biking outfits. Yes. But have you ever, think about it, in a movie or TV show, have you ever seen a badass on a bicycle? Like somebody that's like like the sexy one. Or 
like regular movies, uh huh, it's always a girl and it's like a romantic comedy yeah, type thing. You're totally right. Like, that's yeah. That's in my or a child. Yep. Like I can't. I. Can't it's like Zoe Deschanel yeah. with a bitch. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Or it's like a cutesy scene. Yeah. Like if Pedro Pascal was rolling up to me on a bicycle. Okay, well, maybe that's a poor example, but. I mean, I'd want to ride him, not. <laughs> maybe if it was a tandem bicycle, I'd be like, yeah, I'd ride on the tandem bike with you. <laughs> uh, do you know how many times I have watched that one TikTok that is the little clip? I don't even know what it's from, but it's of him being like. The whispering one or the eating uh, one? That's the. No. Well, both of those, yes, but there's a clip where he's like, he's like a cowboy and he's going like, you want to come back to my room? I got a six pack on ice and you can something, something, scream my name as loud as you want, baby. And then it cuts to the, <laughs> the hey, sexy lady. <laughs> Every TikTok where that exists, it's just like, that. how many times have you watched this? But I wonder yes. if that's from... We're going to find it and we're going to put it into this episode because it needs to be heard. How would you like to ride home on a real cowboy? I got a six pack of cold ones on ice and my room is out all night so you can scream my name as loud as you need to, sugar. Hey, sexy lady, but the one video of him, <laughs> like, whisper talking. Oh, Oh, and you haven't seen in the the last uh, <laughs> said in the last of in us. the last of us. <laughs> I have not seen. Last um, of us. but the last of us, it's a dire situation where it's like if they speak, if they get heard where they're at, they will be obliterated. And so he's instructing the two, the teenage girl and the woman that he's with. They're like, from now on, we are not quiet. We are silent. <laughs> and then I would have been on that forest floor so fast with my legs spread and be like, like sign languaging him. Oh. Like the way he sounded. Oh um, yeah, gosh. when I was watching that with Josh and that happened, I think they purposely did that knowing that every straight white female was going to be like, yeah (laughs) and when that happened i was like oh my god and josh was like what is wrong with you (laughs) how was i i literally played that for jacob like on loop i was like take notes take notes take notes oh my god take notes like and just put that in my ear (laughs) there's just certain things guys yep um and you can't explain it but if it works it works like there are every now and then there'll be something that like josh says and i'm like is what is wrong with you i was like that is literally makes no sense and he'll say i can have mine if he can have his and that's fair but yeah i mean at least they're not you know partaking in bestiality yes bringing it back to the episode caitlin good <laughs> bringing it back to the oh, to the, oh, oh my god forgive me fuck a cluck oh. 
<laughs> this that's what happens when world wars happen things just turn to shit people start fucking chickens well, it's you know we are headed it's towards over world war three and it's not looking so hot do you well maybe it'll be swifter this time maybe it'll just be a one and done like you know if it's half the world like my vaporized mother hopes for, <laughs> we all die together just be vaporized together it'd be nice if we could die together well, how about we don't die at all? Hmm. Yes, that's a better option, Christine. Man. Anywho, guys. <laughs> that was a somewhat of a palate cleanser. We hope you guys are all doing well after that. Um, <laughs> and we hope you join us back next week as we... <laughs> For the second part. <laughs> continue and finish yes. this shit show. Yeah. Because um, it does end. It does have an ending. It does end. And if it brings anyone any consolation, a peewee is no longer living. He did. He was brought to justice. And you'll be very glad of that after the end of part two. Um, but until then, feel free to <laughs> follow us on Instagram at Camping is Canceled and TikTok, yes. same handle, mm-hmm. um, where you can find videos that might make you smile <laughs> i mean they're they're in the crime Sphere. wheelhouse yes like, they're not as dark but hopefully some shall make you smile so go ahead and give us a mm-hmm. follow there um please feel free to email us at campiness at gmail.com mm-hmm. with case suggestions with your own personal stories mm-hmm spooky paranormal true crime mm-hmm. embarrassing camp blah 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 you know Le- yes. you listen to all the episodes before yes um and is that it i yes i think that's it for all of our social stuff and i do just want to throw in because we haven't been saying this um we have gotten quite a lot of downloads which is awesome i think we're we're over 5,000 now, which is, yes, that's so awesome. Thank you, you guys. And if you are enjoying the show, please share with anyone that you think might be interested in checking us out because those personal like DMs and shares help us expand our reach really really far other than Mm -hmm. us just posting random shit on tiktok so um that would be amazing and also leave us reviews on apple podcasts um spotify wherever you get your podcasts yes um those are much appreciated and keep us motivated to keep on putting out horrible content for you yes and please comment on our videos or dm us on instagram or Mm -hmm. can you do that on tiktok i have no clue yes you can like Mm -hmm. talk to us we enjoy talking to you guys yes we We want to hear from you guys not being alone in this community (laughs) yes absolutely but that is where we shall leave you today yes until next time lights out campers bye